Stop asking your buyers to do all the work of scheduling a meeting for you using calendar links. Chronologic AI predicts guests' availability with over 80% accuracy, so you can improve your buyer's experience by allowing them to just click accept on a meeting invite. Chronologic does the work of scheduling the meeting for everyone. Visit chronologic.com forward slash making fun of marketing for your free two-week trial. The best new strategy you heard that makes you scratch your head a little bit. Cold FaceTimes. <laughs> what? Like, no. I'm not taking that call. I'm not. I will not swipe right. I will not join. I accidentally cold FaceTimed my entire family group that includes aunts, uncles, grandparents, the whole thing at like oh, 10 no. 30 in the morning yesterday. My grandma looking like a zombie trying to like figure this whole thing out. It was hilarious. I'm Scott Logan, and we're Making Fun of Marketing. Hello, everyone, to Making Fun of Marketing. In this episode, we have James Say What Sales Buckley, and he is the host of the Daily Sell Better Show. He is a sales practitioner, sales coach, sales trainer, sales everything, basically, and now also in a marketing capacity and is also helping marketers as well with some of his his newer content so welcome to the show james yeah thanks for having me man this is fun i always like it when we get to have candid conversations about what's happening in business today we're going to talk about because you are both a marketer and salesperson and i have been a salesperson and then went to marketing that misalignment we've talked about this on other shows before but we're going to take a slightly different angle get a little bit more granular on some tactical things i think that the perspective that james brings where he's doing daily coaching shows for salespeople and runs marketing basically for his own brand. We'll start there. We're going to kick things off with is a, a segment we call punchlines. I'm going to give you the intro to a sentence and then you go ahead and finish it. All right. All right. Here we go. Oh my God. I just lost this deal to a terrible decision. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to have to go into that one a little bit more. The best Sales tip that's an oldie but a goodie. It's not about you. Cold calling is... Alive and well. We'll also have to talk about that. The best new strategy you heard that makes you scratch your head a little bit. Best new strategy I've heard that makes me scratch my head a little bit. Cold FaceTimes. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I'm not taking that call. I'm not. Oh. I will not swipe right. I will not join. On that note... I, this was not planned. You didn't even know what question I was going to ask you on this. I accidentally cold FaceTimed my entire family group that includes aunts, uncles, grandparents, the whole thing at like oh, 10 no. 30 in the morning yesterday. And my parents both answered because they saw it was for me. And then my grandma accidentally answered it when she was still asleep and she's in her nineties. And so she's like, fiddling with her phone, trying to get it, like looking like a zombie, trying to like figure this whole thing out. It was hilarious. Yeah. It's a no from me at 7.30 in the morning. I will not take my family's rando FaceTime call. That's not happening. Well, how about this? Say you're in the East Coast time zone like you are, and I'm in Mountain, and you said cold call is live and well. You taking a cold call or giving me a cold call at 7.30 in the morning? So I take every cold call I get. I wouldn't take a cold FaceTime. I think that's over the line. I take every cold call I get, though, and I want to hear it. 
I want to hear their opener. I want to hear their pitch. I want to hear how they transition. I learn a lot from other cold calls on both sides. Stuff that works to actually get me talking, I use. But then I learn a lot of stuff that sucks too. If you talk for a minute and a half in your opener and you don't take a breath, most people are done with the call as soon as possible and you'll never be able to call them again because they'll say whatever they need to say to get you off, but then they block the number so that you can't call back. And I know there's like dialers and workarounds for that as well, but you know, it's, you're kind of like picking at the wrong people at that point. I think you may be unique in that you answer every cold call. I get like five a day. And if I did that, my day would just be shot. I'd probably take one or two a week for the same exact reason, but I don't think that that's the norm. I feel like a hypocrite if I don't take cold calls. I am a cold caller. I default to the phone. If you have a phone number on my record for you, I'm dialing it before I send an email or reach out on social. That is my habit because I want to know if it's the best number. If it's the best number and it goes directly to your voicemail, for example, I typically create a contact in my phone. Whether you answer or not, that happens. So how about on the talk of sales to marketing? If marketing sends over a batch of leads, we do oh. our damnedest to get the best phone number. Let me throw a flag on that play right there, Scott. How do you find the best phone number for this record? First name, do not contact. Last name, screw off. Email address, screw off at screwoff.com. These come down to salespeople. And we're talking about making fun of marketers here. Like I just, I'll call attention to it because it has to be said from the sales front lines, man. Look at the email addresses that you label as hot leads and force down to the SDRs and the AEs to reach out to. If they are screw off at screwoff.com, please don't label that as a nine out of 10 hot lead. It's not a hot lead. In fact, this person is literally saying, I do not want to be contacted. But I think oftentimes, and marketing and sales are both guilty of this, we just go through the motions. We just do the thing. We, there's 150 here. I'm not going to comb through it with my eyes. I'm just going to forward it onto a salesperson and let them whittle through it. You know, That's okay. Sure. If that salesperson is expecting that to be the case, but you can't then reach out later and say, I sent you 90 leads and you only reached out to 40 of them, that's not good enough. And they're like, yeah, well, the other 50 were bad email addresses and fake names. Don't send me a list of 90 email addresses and all of them are fake. Take a look at what you're sending me. The argument is on both sides. And that's one of the dominant tensions that we see between sales and marketing today. They're not working together in a harmony. Yeah. The causes of that, one, marketing in that scenario isn't putting the data practices in place that they need to, to make sure that you can catch those and scrape them out with automation and say it's a high profile list, like from a trade show or from some case study download or something, or an ABM, definitely for ABM, you should absolutely be having a set of eyeballs on that data because you might see some tendencies or something in there that you can then just mass clean up for. There's entirely too much AI available to us to not be able to do things like clean up lists before yep. they reach the hands of salespeople. Yep. Might also help your content strategy too, because you can figure out where those people are coming from and what to do different so that they're not attracted to that content anymore. Yep. I mean, if you have a million, even five fields on your form, that's too many. There's data platforms that you can just have ask for the email address, make it a business only requirement, and then append data. If data doesn't get appended, 
it's obviously a bad email address and you should dump that lead. Then you only have a one field form or maybe a two because you're asking, where did you hear about us? There's email verification software out there that you can run through as well. Verify every email address before you forward it to your salespeople. These are steps that you can take. I think there's even a program called Ringlead. I worked for them in 2019. I believe they were acquired by Zoom Info sure. not too long ago. Data yep. orchestration was the whole claim to fame. Standardize your data, verify your data, make sure it all looks the right way, remove duplicate records. This is all stuff that exists out there, but a lot of marketers don't take those steps. Yep. And a lot of times what happens is marketing is improperly gold or the mm. metrics that they're measured on are just completely from 2011 when everyone was doing the waterfall thing and then followed the best practices modifying that. If you're still doing that and still optimizing that, you need to start to read some new literature on what to do today because that's Pull not back. driving jack squat. <laughs> and that whole model is built off of an MQL goal. That's right. And that's why you were talking about scoring. So you should actually be gold off of opportunity creation and then what you need to do is work with the sales team to identify what deems an opportunity. Make sure marketing, SDRs, and AEs are on the same page. I think it happens on smaller teams more effectively than it happens on larger teams. I'll say that. Yeah. I think mid-market and enterprise teams, it's a lot of moving parts, a lot of wild west out there. Everybody's doing what works for them. Some people are cherry pickers. Some people are batch and blast people, right? There's a lot of like, what do I personalize and what do I not? We teach people to tear out all of their accounts to know like where the personalization is most effective sure. and where it matters most. And then the things that you can be really creative and try over here that are different. And if you lose deals on that smaller side, you know, that's all right. You tried something different. You found something new that didn't work. And that's a win too. So we teach them to be scientists, I think, and collect the data around what works. The downside to the larger and mid-market companies is that oftentimes the communication is very siloed into the departments. Yeah. So sales doesn't have insight into what marketing is producing or doing. And therefore, they don't have the context to be able to speak about it with their customers, their existing customers, or their prospects. I find that our Better Media team is actually very openly communicative about each department. And I think it's because everyone at Better Media wears both the sales hat and the marketing hat. And because we do that, we have no choice but to see it from both sides. We have no choice but to follow the cycle all the way through from start to finish and then say, well, this marketing and sales initiative. It's no longer a sales initiative. It's no longer a sales A-B test. It's a marketing and sales A-B test, right? If I do a show about cold prospecting and then I reach out to the leadership that came to that show and I'm specific about the show they came to and what they got, I tend to get a better reply rate because I'm reaching out contextually. That's marketing and sales working together. Oftentimes what we see is that these two departments are pitted against each other. Let me give you the best and probably the most popular example, Scott. In the case of free trials, marketing and sales are quite literally working against one another because marketing's job is to create marketing collateral that's interesting and engaging enough to a point where somebody goes, yeah, this makes sense. I'll try it. And they're compensated. The department is compensated often for the number of free trials that they can generate those trials then go to account executives, but no qualification or discovery is done in that process. 
So the salespeople spend a lot of time doing hundreds of demos for marketing qualified leads, as you pointed to earlier, that end up not having budget or they're just people that read the article and they tried it. They're not even a decision maker. Sorry, this is not something I can help you with. Wouldn't it have been better to send those leads to an SDR and let them qualify and discover so that they could weed out the folks that weren't actual buyers? So the point is, is that marketing is always trying to get those free trials with their content that they create. And sales is always trying to set up demos with their conversations, their cold calls, their cold outreach, their DMs. So we're competing against one another to service the same target audience. This can get overwhelming very fast. This is where they stop communicating about emails. And that's why people will reach out to salespeople and say, hey, can you unsubscribe me from all of these emails I'm getting? I get three or four from hello at your company every day. And then I also get emails from you twice a week asking me for time. It's just too much. Can you stop this? And the whole thing can be solved if marketing just spoke to sales and sales reported and gave feedback about what was working back to marketing. We could all start creating things that aid in the production of revenue, which, hey, wake up call, y'all. That is the job for both departments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so going back to the original point in your scenario that you gave, or even in your world at your company, what is there a goal that yep. you all share across the board? Is it opportunities created or are you going your SDRs off of meetings? We do. No, we hold each other accountable for X amount of new meetings a week. We hold each other accountable for X amount of opportunities created a week. And I think that that helps us. And it's all visible. We can all see everybody's progress together. We can see what you're doing. We can see the calls you make. We can see the emails you send. We report in Slack. One of the things we do really well is we have groups in Slack where we tell each other and send examples of things that are working. And then people go, oh, I like that. I'm going to write one that's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. And that's because we're all sharing what works. Yeah. From both a marketing and a sales perspective, we are sharing what works. If we do this as two separate departments, what you end up with is a team of marketing and salespeople where the salespeople understand the value of marketing and oftentimes become mini marketers themselves because they get so excited about the revenue they can generate for themselves as well as the company. And then marketing people that understand their value and how they feed down to sales to create opportunities. And this is the marriage that we should all be searching for in the grand scheme of business moving forward, 2024 and beyond, right? Stop it with this concept that we all work against each other. And this goes down to like even the smallest things like personal brand, which we can talk about whenever you're ready. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. So if you're like a mid-marketer enterprise company and uh, you're on the marketing side, this is something that I've done in every one of those scenarios. When I first joined the team, usually I'm coming in and owning the demand generation team. And the first sales meeting that I join, I will literally call out, say, listen, we're here to support you. The whole point of our existence is to allow you to close deals faster and easier. So if I give you an update, which I will do every time you have your meeting, mm. if you're not complaining or giving feedback, there's something seriously wrong. Because I don't yeah. believe you don't have something to bitch about when I come in and give you a campaign. I think there's value in the relationship building between the two departments. But I think the main key 
whether you like each other or not, which by the way is not required for you to work together, is <laughs> over communication. Over communication between these two departments is the solve. And it doesn't matter if you feel like you're stepping on somebody's toes, do it privately. Like it's okay, but there's nothing wrong with saying something like, I saw that we're making this change. Here are my concerns. What does everyone think? These are the types of conversations that we have here internally that help us to communicate as a team better and zero in on the stuff that matters. I end up reviewing my quarterly goals every two, three, four weeks to make sure I'm on track. Yeah. My CRO, Christopher Merrill, will often send me a message that says, hey, man, when I think about where my time should be spent, I'm thinking about these three things. Does that line up with what we've been discussing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about the same thing. Bam, we're riding the same wave for the rest of the day. This is the focus. Once this happens, suddenly all of this harmony is created between the two departments and one feeds the other and the other changes the marketing team, right? Marketers can take moving forward in the modern age is to not only support their salespeople's personal brands that they're out there trying to build, but to help them to help them build them, support them from a content. Most marketers are faceless entities. They represent the brand behind the scenes. Salespeople are customer facing. When we build a personal brand, it's to draw people towards us that like our personality, like our value, see our worth. And those are people we easily sell to. Marketers that support, aid, and promote, and give platforms to their salespeople's personal brands, those salespeople end up becoming giants in the industry. Five to 10 years from now, they might separate from you and build their own personal uh, consulting company or whatever. But isn't that good? Don't you want that person out there talking positively about how they built their brand at your company? I will never, no matter how bad it might have gone, I will never speak ill of Cirrus Insight and what it did for me because I learned so much about sales, about personal brand, about marketing about effort made, about putting passion into what you do. That was a priceless experience for me. Amen. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I actually don't see many marketers anymore that are against that. And even before, like I started learning about social selling in about 2011, I saw some people that were key reps at like Eloquent, some other folks like Jill Rowley, they were doing this stuff on LinkedIn. I'm like, dang, I thought this was like a resume platform. This is kind of cool. And then all of a sudden they started to provide these insights and then it went away and they turned it into Navigator and then you had to buy it. And I'm like, where did the free version go? And I was just like, this is incredible. So there's another reason you should have your sales team and your marketing team and your, hell, the IT team, if you sell an IT networking product, be all leaders out there because the algorithm is going to be more favorable to them than what anything you put on your company page anyway. Once again, I think that people trust those personal brands more than they do the faceless company brand, right? I think there are some exceptions, right? We trust Nike. That's a staple, right? That's a different kind of brand. It's a brand that has roots and that we can look back in history and say, I've always been a Nike person. But when you're talking about something new, something exciting, yeah. something you've never explored before, it helps to put a face to that. It's more relatable. One of the best parts about building a personal brand is learning how you can become that mini marketer so that you can know, like, I don't have to rely on marketing. I know how to create content 
We're doing a show today in 20 minutes for Market Better on how to create content that's attractive to your target audience. That part of the season is here and we have to embrace it because people are more selective now than ever where they put their time. I mean, we, imagine a goal line defense in front of your calendar that's just like, nope, nope, you're not getting in, right? That's just the nature of how people have become over the last three years. I don't want to mention COVID, but it did change the way that people look at how they spend their time. Yeah. We are more guarded. We want to be able to do the things that matter. When I look at those goals every couple of weeks, every couple of months, they don't change, but there's only like three or four of them at the most. They're force ranked. I'm looking at them in a, an order of priority. That makes my life very simple for a marketer, as a salesperson, as a personal brand. All the things that I'm doing feed these goals. And if they don't, I don't do them. And that for me is a win. And it should be on the mind of every marketing and sales team globally. We should all be looking at the things that matter most and saying, is this activity that I do feeding that thing that matters most? That's a question we must ask every time we look at our calendars, manage our time, ask people for things. How does it feed this goal that I have? And if you're not asking that question, here's the other question that you must be asking. How does it help this person? Those two questions that are on the spectrum are the thing that has to be in focus 100% throughout your day-to-day, -day, whether you are in marketing or sales. If you're creating something, don't create just to create. Don't create just because you said many moons ago that you were going to do something once a week and you're like, oh, I have to do it. You don't have to do it. It's not something that's set in stone. It's something you've decided to do. So don't do it just to do it. Do it when it matters. Do it when you're passionate about something. Do it when an idea hits you that you believe is relevant and relatable to your target audience. Those are the things that really hit home and you can always generate opportunities. Revenue is a different conversation that has more to do with sales than marketing, but you can always create opportunities when you care about what you're creating and learning how it feeds down to that sales level to impact that frontline buyer that's headed in your direction. Yeah, that was very thorough, very well put. There's two roads that we can take. We only have time to take one of them, I believe. One of them is the attribution of that personal brand. A lot of that is murky waters. I think it's been very cleared up with the creation of UTMs. Yeah. Links that are specific to your seller that has that personal brand. You want attribution. Here's all the stuff you need. It belongs to yeah. you and you alone. Another thing you can do to make that UTM piece easier is just have it be a simple form field where it's universal. So just have one field across all your campaigns. So you're not creating a new field and a new link for everything. And if someone goes, well, I can't remember my link. All they have to do is put question mark field equals in your name. That's it. And even do that for the marketing person. They just have to do a merge on an Excel sheet. And all of a sudden That's you right. have UTMs for everyone. You copy paste it, put it in a spreadsheet, say, grab the link for your name and go from here. When I was at Cirrus, I follow Say What Sales was very common to hear at the AE level when they were doing the demos. Uh, they would finish the demo and they would say, quick question before I let you go, how'd you hear about us? Or they'll open with that. And they'll say, oh, I follow Say What Sales. And I met him at a Salesforce event. Right. And it was my brand being out there representing the company that would pull these individuals in. And that became the magnet. We all need magnets, but they have two poles. Sometimes people are repelled by our brand. <laughs> this is okay. You will not sell to those people anyway. It's okay. 
sometimes people are attracted to our brand yeah. and those are the people that we sell best to figure it out it's there i promise it just takes effort and time nice well i'm actually glad you went down that road and we touched on that but one thing that i'm going to pivot the entire conversation towards is this statement that i've actually didn't think I would get mixed results from when I say this, but it does get mixed emotions. The marketing team and the pipeline and revenue that we produce is beholden to the SDR team and the AE team and how successful they are. And we don't have a lot of influence on that typically because we can send these over, but if the sales team isn't doing, doesn't have a good process, you know, in a startup, you don't have your kinks ironed out in how you approach things like, sure. Or you just have a bunch of newbies and for some reason, your demo requests go to the newbies and they're cutting their teeth on your most qualified leads. Like some, at one point they're like, well, let's give the easy stuff to the new guys and gals. I'm like, oh God, the new people only have a script to answer the questions of. We're losing every yeah. single one. What are things that the marketing team can do to support the sales team to say, yeah. like, you have all these cool tips of like, ask this question, open like this, phrase that yep. question that you've always been asked this way. And it forces them to answer it with a, explanation instead of yes or no. How do we help sales team do that since we're not the sales trainers? I appreciate this question more than you know, because I think that marketers sometimes feel like they are stepping over some sort of imaginary line when they try to help salespeople. You're not. My opinion remains that collaboration comes from communication. If the problem is that the system is putting the wrong leads in front of the wrong people, look at that and ask yourself, who do I need to speak with so that we can make the changes to that system? Because I feel they'd be more effective, those new, easy, low-hanging fruit ones going to the experts instead of the newbies, right? To use your example. But when it comes to how you can help SDRs level up and continuously do the job better, I think just having something simple that every team can do, weekly meetings for 30 minutes. What did we send you that you scheduled a meeting from? What did we send you that went nowhere? If you have salespeople that are willing to give you this information, you can go back to the drawing board and look at all the things they're pointing to and make the necessary adjustments so that the things that don't convert stop coming their way and the things that do convert come their way more often. But it all comes down to that weekly meeting where you ask that particular question. What did we send you that made something happen that was magical? And how did it go? Show us, right? Show everyone so that we can all do it. Yep, definitely. So one thing that I do is my demand gen team is required to spend at least 50% of their time with sales. Now that's taking them out to lunch. That's joining their meetings. It even counts as time spent if you are listening to their calls. And a lot of times when you listen to their calls, you can pick up things that is working that you're not saying that you can adjust marketing campaigns with, but you also end up picking up things where sales reps completely walk by a huge door that just opened for them to go sell through and they just skip over it. Like they tell the challenge, but they either were thinking about something else, they didn't hear it, or maybe they're just too junior in your organization, like as far as product knowledge to know to go through that. Do you address the sales manager? Give them some of the clips. Can you create a relationship where you can coach them one-on-one and say, hey, I saw this. You know, maybe you can do this. Do you do it just through commenting on the recordings and doing that and letting them know? Like, I've done all of those things. What 
as the salesperson and the sales leader, do yeah. you appreciate or not appreciate? Yeah, I think this. So there's a couple of pieces of this puzzle. First of all, I love this question because it literally hits the head, the nail on the head when it comes to collaboration and how we take feedback. This is a culture question, really, and probably a relationship and a tightness question as well. Everybody takes feedback a little different. Some people you can recommend something to or coach, and they're very open to it. I have always been very open to feedback. If you aren't telling me what I can improve upon, I won't know to focus on it for next time. Right. So I've always been open to feedback. Some people are not open to feedback or they pretend to be open to feedback and they end up holding a grudge against you for years sometimes because you said this one little thing about the way they do something and thought they could do it better. So I think there's a couple of factors. Did you create a culture? Is there a culture at the company that you work at where feedback is something everybody gives to each other in the essence of growth, in the attempt to grow together as a team? Or do you work in a culture? that's very siloed where everyone sits in a cubicle and there are walls and you never make eye contact with anybody and feedback is something that's poo-pooed on, you know? <laughs> hey, no, no hate, right? There's a lot of companies yeah. out there that function this way. I don't know why, but they do, right? Yeah. So you have to know the culture that you're working in, number one. Number two, what's your relationship to this other human? Is this the first time that you've ever gone out with them to lunch? Maybe giving them that feedback about their aggression on the phone might not be a good move in your first experience with them. Or have you known this person for three years and this is the 800th time you guys have gone to lunch together? If that's the case, I'm pretty sure they're going to be open to the feedback. Yep. So this is kind of a um, put your feelers out there and read the room scenario, both from a company culture perspective and from a individual's perspective. What's my relationship with this person? I will say that I think everyone should be able to coach those that they work with in the right moments, with the right tones, with the right language. If you're not a good coach, if you're somebody that you know you're a little bit harsh and you come across the wrong way, maybe pass that feedback to the manager and let them trickle it down in a one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. right? But if you don't know this person well enough, maybe package it in a way that they might not take it offensively. If you're close enough to the person, though, do it the right way. Find a story that is relative to the situation that you're trying to coach to. Tell them the lesson that you learned and then say, what do you think about that, right? And let them come to that conclusion on their own. There are a lot of ways to handle that scenario interdepartmentally. But I think the bottom line, the two factors to consider are the culture in the company and the relationship you have with that other individual. Yeah, everyone should coach each other. Marketing, sales, sales, and marketing, and then in those circles as well. So John told me when he hired me and Chris agrees, Megan agrees, our entire organization is flat. We are all the same. Just because John is the CEO of Jay Barrows does not mean that my opinion means less than his. Yeah. This was hard for me to accept, but once I did, everything changed for me. I was able to be authentic with my feedback and really talk to these people about how I was feeling and what I was seeing work and how they could change. And I think we've all changed each other over the years. Yeah. One way you could approach that if you don't know that person well yet, or you just started, say, hey, on the marketing side, I was listening to some calls, trying to get better educated on what's working out there in your phone conversations, trying to do some research. I discovered a sales rep that didn't address this or said this, whatever it is you noticed, and just say, wanted to know if there's any feedback on that. And if that was done on accident or purpose and you make it an open-ended soft question, but that's not going to get you as good of a result as if you create that relationship, trust that you can instill the better off you are 
And in those moments, trust gets built up really quickly because you're both candid, you're off the record, you know that you're not talking about work and you can get to know someone really well. I found that it has worked very well to create relationships on the sales side when the organization was so big that there's maybe 10 VPs of sales and it's just hard to get to know them all. I've done 87 SaaS events, 87 conferences in my career in various places all over the globe. And one of the things that I prided myself on was talking to strangers. If I don't know you, if I've never met you, you can bet that at some point through the night, I will probably stick my hand out, shake your hand, introduce myself and ask you yeah. who you are, yeah. what you do, what company you're with, you know, what are you guys working on these days? That has always worked really well for me. And I'm like you, I'll stay up late. I don't care. Even after the last VP goes to bed, I'm probably still up if there are managers and directors in the room that I can meet with and get to know you. And that goes both ways. It goes with the people that I meet that are internal on our team. And it goes for yep. the people that are in the room at the conference because those are all prospects in my eyes. Yep. And I won't know if they are or aren't until we have an actual conversation about the value that I deliver. This whole conversation has one major theme, and that is we as individuals and as teams have the ability to alleviate ourselves from this tension between sales and marketing and work together to benefit our prospects and clients. And until we remove the barriers and start having open conversations about how these two departments work together more frequently, more often, more effectively, we will consistently see this tension getting in the way of opportunity creation and therefore stopping us from hitting goals that we set early on in the year. That's the bottom line. Be a human being. Talk to the other human beings that do the job that you want to do, that you're supposed to be doing as well. And let's learn together for the sake of our clients and the growth of our companies so that we can find happiness and success, whatever that might look like for you. Yeah. Nearly every situation can be improved and mended and gotten to where you need it to be successful. I joined a company where the first day the VP pulls me aside going into the sales meeting and she goes, oh, by the way, sales calls us the sales prevention department. So let's be cool for now. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that was something I didn't learn in the interview process. And we turned it around and became 30% of the revenue for the company and the sales team loved us. So it can be done. And thank you, James, for joining the show and giving us all this insight. And that was fun dynamic on, you know, both of us being candid on our viewpoints of both sides and our lives on both sides. So I think that we can get a lot out of this and how to improve ourselves. And thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I always do these kinds of shows because I believe in the power of content. So thank you for having me. I appreciate coming out. Anybody that wants to learn more, check us out, sellbetter.xyz. And we'll see you guys there. You beat me to the punch. Go check out James's content. It's amazing. If you want more of our content from Making Fun of Marketing, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or chronologic.com forward slash podcast. Thank you and have a great day, everyone. Hopefully this was a bright spot in your day. You can go ahead and listen to more episodes at chronologic.com forward slash podcast and give us a five-star review and subscribe if you just want to hear more and get a bet yeah thank you have a great day everyone <laughs>